When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden, and you're listening to Queer Stories, the podcast for the monthly LGBTQIA storytelling night I host and program. Queer Stories takes place at Giant Dwarf in Redfern, though in 2018 we'll be taking off to a few more venues and cities. Stay tuned. This week, writer and HIV-AIDS activist Nick Hollis. One thing I can remember about the train ride was the glow of the setting sun filling the carriage, the dark lines cut into amber by the shadows cast from the bridges and the power lines. In the playback in my mind, the whole carriage is bathed in it, and the memories of that time are almost distant enough to see myself in them, like a piece of cinema, as opposed to through my point of view, like some shitty handheld emo music video. That's what happens uh, to distant memories in our brains. When we recall them, our minds replay them like they're films, and we see ourselves, even though our brains recorded them straight through our eyes. It's a Friday evening. It's one of my last in Melbourne, where I've been living for a few years. On Wednesday, I'm flying away for good. I'm in this amber carriage, alert to a sense of things ending and new things beginning, literally glowing with them, or is that literally just the twilight? Piercing that soft glow is the sharp digital sheen of my phone activated by an incoming call. Dad. I'm staring at it and weighing up my options. It's late, late afternoon, and now the amber is draining out of the carriage, at carriage as the sun continues to set. It's close enough to be after dark for me not to be lying to myself, right? Plus, I'm on public transport and I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Um, you see, I'd, I'd recently made myself a promise. No more answering the phone when Dad calls after dark. Increasingly, our conversations had devolved into these one-sided, careening murmurs, foggy monologues stitched together with these erratic, haphazard peals of laughter from him, only from him these days. And I'd, uh, I'd let him talk and find a way to excuse myself, then excuse myself again, and again, until through the fog, he'd get the hint. These type of calls had been going on for a while, since my stepmother had passed away a few months prior. He was grieving, somewhere stuck in between one of the seven, or two, seven, uh, to the seven stages, in some hidden Easter egg stage. He was hurting. He was living on the Gold Coast, far enough away f- for me not to visit, so on the phone I was patient, I was understanding. I don't want to be that guy. Dad and I were more like mates than father and son. That's how he sees it. My queerness was never a hurdle, actually a total always source of pride. And growing up, he was in many ways camper than I am. 
<laughs> Occasionally, though, I probably could have used a father figure as opposed to the guy who gave me my first pot brownie at age 12 and let me wander around a hippie market in northern New South Wales or stoned out of my little brain or who at the same age took me to the big day out at 12 in a limo he couldn't afford and let me wander through sweaty mosh pits of drunk and high adults completely unsupervised while he sat somewhere drinking and smoking. And look, I mean... At age 12, going to the big day out is pretty amazing. Um, in the face of what was seemed like a seemingly limitless substance-fueled parental environment, sometimes you kind of want your dad to make you do your homework, you know? I wanted him to be that guy. But now it was a Friday night and he was reaching out. Friday night. No way that incoming call wouldn't be laced with pot and booze and whatever else. No way it wouldn't be brief. It would be brief, sorry. No way I wanted to take that call while I was sitting on a train. So the phone went unanswered. I'd ring him back tomorrow, I thought, but I probably didn't think that. I probably just rolled my eyes at the increasing difficulty of being his son. Maybe I wondered when I was, he was going to stop living like this. Moments later, the sun had disappeared and I was ascending the escalators of the city mall, carrying me to the cinemas where my friend was waiting for me. My phone started to buzz once again, and in the neon light storm of a shopping centre, my phone's digital flashes fit right in. This time, though, it wasn't my dad. It was my sister. Between the hustle and hum of a thousand or so people chatting, shopping and commuting, it was tricky to make out what she was saying. Her naturally husky voice was made even harder to understand, punctuated as it was by panicked sobs. Dad is trying to kill him self. It's really weird getting life-changing news on the way to or in the middle of something. My first thought was, I can probably still go to the movies. I don't want to cancel on my friend. Uh, memories can be distorted, but your brain in crisis is truly bizarre. And suddenly, as people around me were buying popcorn, I was trying to piece together what had happened, or as it turns out, what was happening unfolding somewhere in real time as we were talking on the phone, a DVD commentary of someone else's cinematic memory, his final one, if everything went to plan. And a brief side note, can I just say that DVD commentary is something that's going to have to be embarrassingly explained to young people when we're old. It's this bizarre, late capitalism value add that it was. And even now, I mean, it's over, which is even weirder. If anyone in the room is, is under the age of 19, I'm sorry. <laughs> And yes, even in writing and talking about this some five years later, I'm attempting to distract from the pointy end of the story, the harder to remember bits. Leaping off into DVD era nostalgia is a new one, though. But there we were. My sister and I, wondering if this is it. She'd also missed his call, probably for the same reasons I had, but unlike me, she listened to his voice more long and after, and she heard a foggy monologue, but not one peppered with one-sided laughter. Just a small voice, tight in the throat, sad and unhinged, saying goodbye. She panicked and called him, but he answered, was, but he was too unintelligible and hung up not long after, and now he wasn't answering. And she was spiralling at the terrifying notion that she just heard her father's voice for the last time. This wasn't my first time being told that Dad was trying to commit suicide, but it was hers. My little sister with the big heart and the husky voice who had grown up repeatedly being told that she was just like Dad. She, was, she wanted his address. 
She called Triple O, but she didn't know where he actually lived, and I realised that neither did I. Dad had been asked to move out from his partner's apartment by, his, by her family not long after she passed away. He was living with a mate somewhere on the glamorously ugly part of the Gold Coast, which doesn't exactly narrow it down. That's all I knew. That's all any of us knew. We hung up so as to not tie up the phone line so I could try and figure out what his address was. I called him. Maybe he'd pick up for me, his best mate, but straight to voicemail. I left him one. He might never hear it, but if he did, he might have been able to hear what I was trying to tell him, that I was sorry. I listened to the voicemail my dad had left me after ignoring his call. It's just like the one he left my sister. I cannot to this day recall a word of what he said, but I could hear what he was trying to tell me. He was sorry. Eventually, through my uncle, we tracked down Dad's address and sent the police an ambulance. They had to break into his house. He'd taken a lethal amount of the OxyContin my stepmother had been prescribed to relieve the pain from her terminal cancer. But he didn't die. He was in hospital and he was going to be okay, sort of. But he didn't die. Later that night, it was my turn to break down on the phone to my mother as I relayed that evening's events while she sat in a cafe somewhere in Spain, freaking out. That memory is one I can see myself in, standing by my closed bedroom door of my share house, quietly trying to break down, and through the sobs, anger. I wish he'd just done it, I remember saying. I wish he'd just followed through on something for once. A couple of days later, as soon as I could, I was on a plane to the Gold Coast. In a humble little room, beneath a humble view of nothing in particular, a humble man lay beneath a sterile blanket. It was a cold, rainy day in what's supposed to be a city that promises an endless summer vacation. Going to school there, I knew just how broken and unfulfilled that promise was. Dad was as relieved to see me as he was ashamed, and I was angry with him right up until that moment. I rounded the corner and entered his hospital room. Where does empathy go when you come face to face with the man who brought you into the world but wanted to leave you in it without him? Leave you to deal with the wound he inflict because his suffering was all too consuming. And there's a moment waiting for all of us when we realise we're charged with the responsibility of taking care of our own parents. For me, that moment was pushing my anger and hurt to the side to show him some patience and some kindness. And it was also getting in a cab, going to his house, rummaging through his room and finding all of my dead stepmother's leftover painkillers and flushing them down the toilet. It was putting all that hurt and anger someplace else. I didn't want to be that guy. But I didn't change my holiday plans. I wasn't sure what I was trying to prove or what sort of message I was sending to him, probably something along the lines of, your behaviour will not be rewarded, my life will go on. So a few days later... I'm on a plane heading to Europe to distract, to displace and distort, putting all that hurt and anger someplace else. A recent habit had become all-consuming, and in the sweaty streets of Barcelona and Lisbon and Paris and New York City, on apps and dance floors and sex clubs, I proved to anyone and literally everyone just how much life I had in me. I allowed an endless cavalcade of men inside me with literal gay abandon. They filled me up. One of them, it turns out, with HIV. But it wasn't his fault, and it certainly wasn't my dad's fault. 
wasn't anyone's fault. I was just that guy. That guy went on to play a huge role in changing the way we talk about HIV in this country and that wouldn't have happened without him, without me getting it. And you might think that it's a little shitty to speak so openly about someone else's suffering, but suicide is an act that puts one person out of their pain and leaves it for their loved ones to trip over again and again and again. When it's your father that's doing that to you, well, it can make you feel a little bit shitty. But years later, Dad and I laugh it together again, and we laugh often. There are less foggy monologues. He's stopped drinking, but not stopped anything else, and that works for him. It works for us, for our friendship, and as father and son. Ironically, once I became HIV positive, I could see very clearly a long line of male elders stretching back through time, many of them taken early by unfair circumstances. I welcomed into my life new male role models, survivors of that gay plague, uncles and daddies. Some of them I went to bed with. A lot of them I went to bed with. (laughs) I have had many daddies, but I have only one father. Like my HIV elders, I'm grateful that my dad stuck around. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for listening. For tickets to the next Queer Stories, visit giantdwarf.com.au. To check out other events I produce and perform in, visit mavemarsden.com. And if you'd like advance or discount tickets to these shows, look me up on crowdfunding platform Patreon.